Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Welcome to Canceling the Apocalypse. It is our Utopia podcast uh, about utopian thought, media, literature, and ideas. My name is Dom. And I'm Raph. Hi there. Uh, who did wave, even though this is radio, and they can't see you, Raph. But I have such a beautiful face. I put on my most beautiful face just for this. And not your most beautiful voice, offensive. That is so rude. Should I introduce myself? You should introduce yourself. I am a uh, PhD student at a London university, and I'm writing my PhD on utopian, contemporary utopian literature. I hate saying that because I've said that now approximately, I'm almost done. I'm five months off being done. And I've now said that approximately um, eight billion times. And whenever I say it, um, everyone's eyes just glaze over. Not because what I'm saying is not interesting, but just because no one knows how to respond to someone telling you what they're writing their PhD on. It's like, what should the response be? That sounds good. Well done. I mean, congratulations. Woohoo! The correct response is clearly my response, which is to suggest that we do a podcast about Utopia. Uh, that was such a good segue. <laughs> I've ruined it by pointing it out, but that was absolutely superb. Please no, tell fine. us it's about fine. this podcast. You broke you broke the fourth wall of the radio listening audience. Um, my name is Dom. I have a real job, uh, unlike the <laughs> doctoral student. <laughs> Again, rude. Uh, no, I, 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 I joke, I joke. No, I'm, but you do have a real job. I'm a teacher, which uh, is, I feel, a utopian job. I at, at the moment, I'm teaching in a primary school, which means I go into a room full of um, totally mad, chaotic, brownian motion in, in tiny minds, and I pretend like I know what's happening, uh, and that they should trust me. And they do trust me, which is really lovely, and in and of itself, utopian. And I promise them every day that... I know what's happening, and today is going to be good, and the future is also going to be good. That is really nice. Do they believe you? Yeah. Seriously, they believe you, despite, like, not, not every, the world not every around one them. Of them. Okay, Definitely right. not every single one of them, but enough that uh, I feel like I'm doing some good. Do they believe you, as in, like, like are you doing... Are they happy with the future because of you or just oh. because of their own ignorance? No, in, in, the, in the moment, when I think about what you were as a child, most children are very bad at thinking about the future. Yeah, I just really loved insects. Look, I really loved, uh, I mean, whales, but what children need... Just whales? Whales. Okay. What children need is for the future, the near future, today, lunchtime, to make sense. Yeah. And I can make... I can break down the period until the bell rings and their lives are not their own, but their lives, you know, they feel like they have more power when they're not at school. Um, you know, I can make that period of time rational, you know, positive, mm. hopefully enjoyable. That's another really good segue, actually, because because um, in this way, I also feel like we are all children because we also would like all of our lives to make some kind of sense mm. and be angled towards some kind of goodness, but nothing makes sense because everything is terrible. Well, this segues really well into a definition of utopia that you can offer, which is not that, <laughs> not that thing that you just did. It's definitely not that. Um, I, I was um, thinking recently about the fact that everyone should stop um, defining things by what they're not. 
because people love doing that. They're like, oh, like in all the papers I read, people are like, oh, the commons is not any of these things. Mm. And thus my paper ends. And I'm like, come back here and do it properly and tell me what you believe in. Utopia is a a space or a time uh, or a society or a politics or a strategy or an idea or a method uh, which is better than what we currently have, essentially. So um, it's nice it can, that it can be all of these things uh, because um, it makes my PhD very difficult. Uh, and also <laughs> it's nice that it can be all of these things because it allows people to um, hope in in better worlds in in lots and lots of different ways and like you you essentially you know you, you sort of you get two very distinct fields and one of them is utopia is a kind of like a society or a a commune or a state like organization structure or whatever and then the other one is utopia is literature so there's been this big genre of utopian literature which has existed since uh thomas moore wrote his book utopia uh which is i think kind of boring, but a lot of people disagree with me on that. Um, and since then, people have been like, ooh, let's create better worlds and talk about them at length in books. Um, at the moment, uh, the the utopian literature thing has been given the short shrift. Uh, people have been not enjoying it uh, and not writing in it a lot. Uh, but the utopian society thing, people have been, I think, talking about more lately. Uh, I think there's... Uh... The reason why maybe utopian literature has been given a short shrift uh, is because we have this uh, society at present that is very crushed. Yeah, that that yeah. Yeah, you know, we have the uh, climate crisis occurring around us. Uh, the apocalypse is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. So utopian literature seems like a cop out, and what we really want. Is I'm not saying I agree with this. this yeah, is, yeah, uh, yeah. Perhaps the, what we really want is uh, 47 minutes of a boot stomping on a face <laughs> with some tits in the background. Of the face? Of the boot. Of uh, the boot, yeah. No. I'm thinking, well, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, because people are like, oh, why would I want to be reading about something that is not my current problems? Which mm. is essentially, this is, this is what I think is a really, really good benefit, excellent thing about utopia is that, um, and utopian literature and utopian writing is that it is less about, oh, here is a perfect world that, uh, that you can look at. Look, isn't it pretty? People there live and are so much happier than us. Ha! Um, and it's far more about, um, here are some tactics and like some strategies and some plans for how to make our world more like this world. Mm, I yeah. find an interesting uh, model of utopian literature is actually uh, children's television. I don't know if you've ever watched an episode of Peppa Pig, but goodness, I've watched a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> and not, you say you have the real job. <laughs> not by choice, not by choice. It's you, you have this world in which all problems can be solved by sitting down and having a conversation about it. And if, oh, that is really nice. If only, you know, someone will... Uh, say, oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I didn't realize that you wanted my toy at that time. This is what children's media is. It's teaching children rules through an entertainment mm. format. And not all children's media is this. Like Peppa Pig is this, sure, but I, I, I can't think. Boots of... stomping on child face. Child boots stomping <laughs> on child face. My least favorite children's media well, is not was, like this. I was actually thinking like the unboxing fad. Like kids love oh, watching yeah. unboxing of toys videos, which is literally the opposite of what children's entertainment should be. Children's entertainment should have embedded in it some educational feature, even if the education is just 
be nice. Yeah. Or don't run into the street. Uh, I've never considered how dystopian unboxing is. Oh, I hate it. Unboxing is really grim, it's, isn't it? It's, an it's just like nightmare. here's a capitalism. Here you are. You can't have it. It's someone else's capitalism. Watch them. Watch them have it. Here's the vision of capitalism. Oh, jeez, that exactly, is grim. It's exactly it. Like the unboxing video is the equivalent of electing Trump. It's like you can't have this dream. The dream will occur somewhere else. It'll be televised for your pleasure, and they're distributed to you later at your choice. You'll hear about the dream occurring. Oh, God. Please, please go back to the to the nice ideas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, rules. Peppa rules. Pig and rules and Peppa stuff. Peppa Pig yeah. and rules, yeah. So the, the value of utopia is not in, here's a good world, be jealous. It's here's a good world, and here's the things that make it good. Yeah. You know, the, there's nothing that um, valuable about the color scheme of Peppa Pig except for the fact that it makes children look at it. But, mm. You know, there's nothing that valuable about the music of Peppa Pig except that it's comforting to a child. So everything in something like Peppa Pig or Sesame Street or uh, Play School, which we watched as Australian children. I love Play School. Was very much based around the idea of we are talking to you in a way that you understand and explaining to you certain rules, some of which will be useful in your life. Yeah. And that's what I think the best utopian media does do. And that's kind of what I want to talk about on our podcast. Yeah. Explain the concept of the podcast. The concept of the podcast is I introduce or talk about, probably I'm not introducing to the audience a lot of these things, I talk about different bits of media, or even if it's not like, you know, a TV show, a movie, uh, a sports entertainment, um, it might be just like something I've read or heard of, and uh, Raph will tell me, or argue with me, and we'll have a discourse about whether or not it is, in fact, utopian. When when Dom first suggested this idea, I was like, I was, I was like, the perfect idea is Dom just explains to me, pleading with a desperate look in her eyes, trying to justify why she thinks something is utopian, and then I just like, I like write down some notes in a small scribble pad, and then look at her, and then just give her a ranking out of ten for and, how utopian it is. And I, you know, the the ranking out of ten is the least utopian of what, all of the things. It's it is the least utopian thing. It's like, in, in my 10 things that are not utopian. Yeah. It ranks at zero. Yeah. It's down there. Yeah. Uh, no, so, yeah, essentially, we just, we, ha- we have a chat. Because um, the, 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 the sort of, like, the idea of this is, is that we were like, gosh, it would be nice to talk about all the things that we like that could make the world a better place. Personally, what this started with for me is, I wish I could find uh, uh, something that would recommend me um, you know, media content that doesn't make me feel worse. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't find much of it. Like, there are a few things, but there wasn't anything that was, like, with this goal of, you know, oh, it's about... It's it's not just, ah, oh, I like watching The Bachelor because it helps me not think. But it is, like, specifically, here are some things that will make you feel better without just being happy. Yeah. And then we talk about, yeah, exactly. We talk about why they might make you feel better and how you might incorporate them into your own life. Hmm. Potentially not like directly, but maybe who knows? I'm not going to take any of the lessons uh, from Peppa Pig about turning my music down because I already have them. Those lessons or those lessons. Yeah. Oh, I see. Like there are lots of things that I'm not going to like that. I wanted to talk about Star Trek. I can't take a lot of the lessons from Star Trek literally to heart. Is that because you don't live on a space station? I don't live on a space. Right. So caveat, I don't. I've never seen any. That is, is that caveat? Is that the right word? Yes. It doesn't matter. I've never seen any Star Trek apart from one 
No, two episodes uh-huh. of a Star Trek. I watched what I watched two Star Trek. I wanted to talk about the original series of Star Trek. Uh, you know, written by Gene Roddenberry, you know, made in the 70s, starring, you know, oh, Captain Kirk and Spock, the thing that I yeah. feel most people do think of when you, you say Star Trek. That one is set not on a space station, but a spaceship, the Starship Enterprise. Now, the very name Enterprise, fascinating, delightful, just redolent, full of uh, meaning and significance. But the mission, which they say at the beginning of every episode in uh, William Shatner's weird... Like, he got weirder as the series went on, and he got really weird by the time they got around to making movies. Like, he doesn't sound like a total alien all the time. But, you know, his weird, slightly gappy, stoppy voice. Uh, where he says, you know, the mission is to explore. Yeah. Uh, and, and not to interfere, and not to invade, and not to conquer, and not to disrupt. Which is remarkable. Exactly. Yeah. And what I find really interesting about Star Trek, the original series, was that it was made uh, in the 60s and 70s. It was... Um, you know, incredibly utopian because it took the context of Cold War and, you know, people recovering from, I say people recovering, nations recovering from, from um, you know, the, the wars that were in the Cold War that were actually hot wars. It's extremely hot. A lot of people died. There were fires. Yeah, it took that and, and racial tensions and, and, and gendered tensions in North America where, where you know, it was made and... Um, it sort of said, yeah, in the future, we fixed them. <laughs> it, it, it posits uh, the, the bridge, you know, the, 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 the bridge of the Enterprise where all the decision-making happens. And yes, the captain is still a white man, um, but his immediate crew are, you know, this logical alien. So you already have like, oh, a foreigner. And yeah, he's also played by a white man. The other important crew members are immediately Russian, uh, you know, pan-Asian. He was played by, I think, a Japanese actor. Yeah, Japanese actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, a black woman. So you have all of these people who are shown making decisions together. And the show made a really big point of saying frequently stuff like, oh, you know, Uhura is very smart and very capable and gets shit so done. So therefore we will listen to. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we really we really trust and love Chekhov, the Russian, you know. They called the Russian Chekhov? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know a single Russian called Chekhov, and I'm literally Russian. I know. Yeah. And he was just, like, he had this extremely Russian name, and he had an extremely Russian accent. So it, it creates this image of the future where nations do still exist, like, there are different accents, there are different languages, yeah. but they coexist. Also, isn't... So this is one thing that, that um, interested me about Star Trek from, like, the vague amount that I know about it, right? Is that So the, the spaceship itself is, is a U.S. spaceship? Isn't it the USS Enterprise or something like that? It's the USS Enterprise. And so is it like... Is this like a future America that's, that's created this space mission? It's the Federation. The Federation. I gonna, love that. I, I love look that. up what the USS stands for. Yeah, you do but that. But it's the Federation, and it is meant to, like in the extended canon, more and more of the leadership you see is still white men, but it's still, yeah. like, and, and, and as you get further into, I am talking mostly about the original series, but as you get, like, deeper into the mythology of, of Star, Star Trek, there's, like, 
less white men in charge. You yeah, had, sure. In um, Deep Space Nine, you had a, a black captain of a, of a space station. That's the one I watched. I watched Deep Space Nine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, Janeway in Enterprise. Sorry, not Enterprise. I've forgotten what Janeway was from. But, you know, she's a female captain and not any less powerful feminine, blah, blah, blah. For that, yeah. Yeah. I think USS is meant to stand for United Starship. No, really? Really? So it's not American. I mean, you know, it is... But, so this is interesting, right? Because, like, like whether or not it's American, the, like, surely the whole idea with this is that, is that they're taking this kind of, like, obsession in, in, in the US that was going on at the time of with space, with yeah. space and um, making a point about it being like, maybe apart from landing on the moon and sticking American flags on it... There's more out there. There's, there's more, more out there, do. yeah. And apart from creating a satellite network that will fail to shoot down any provisional nukes that might be sent into it, just even one, um, just fails all the time. It's really good. It's very expensive. Really and glad br- that there weren't any nukes. Yeah, because that would have ended badly for everybody. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, like, instead of doing those two things, we can also, I mean, like, in terms of, right, so obviously, like, I didn't watch Star Trek. Of course, I watched Star Wars. Which, no. No, which so no, so terribly no. And leaving aside new Star Wars, which is, which is like, interesting in a its diff- own a way, thing, a very a different, different thing. thing. But, like, the old, the old trilogy of Star Wars, and then, obviously, when Ronald Reagan goes and mm. calls his, like, satellite network That's Star Wars. It, yeah, yeah. Which is great because what is the actual what's the, what's the what's the concept there? Is it is it like to 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 wage war against the stars or to wage war in the stars? Okay. Tell me more about Star Trek. I am talking only about the first series again, like the same way that the new Star Wars is a very different thing. Uh, subsequent series of Star Trek became increasingly different things that reflected yeah. their own political context. And I've only watched about three episodes of Discovery, the new one that came out last year, started last year. I think it's in its second season. Um, but it is quite not utopian. Oh, really? Utopian, really? Because it posits that uh, there was a thing in one episode, actually two episodes, I think, of the original series of Star Trek, the Mirrorverse, where the image of you know your evil counterpart having a beard came from. Oh, seriously? That's yeah. the origin. That's really great. Star Trek was the first thing for lots of things. Oh, um, that's awesome. You know, being forced to kiss because aliens made you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Such a problem for all of us. Um, having to... Well, they're like tropes, literary yeah, tropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, having to fight because of, like, cultural expectations of an alien civilization. So, oh, really? So all this stuff that turns up again and again in, in science fiction, uh, Star Trek invented it. Because, well, I say Star Trek invented it, they, they hired a lot of really good sci-fi Yeah, writers. sure, yeah. And they pushed that stuff, yeah. And then it was on TV. So, Star Trek... The new one. The new one posits that not only is that mirrorverse where ever the evil counterpart of everything exists, it's like infiltrating our current universe and there's all this back and forth between them. So it's... Oh, I see. It's inherently sort that's of... That's very interesting because that's mm. essentially like um, the way in which... My favourite example of this thing is War of the Worlds, mm. right? And in when when H.G. Wells wrote War of the Worlds in 1899, 1901, something around that. then, beginning of the 20th he was like, yes, so obviously there are things on Mars and they are an evil, powerful race on Mars. And they're, I mean, they may not be evil, but they're certainly like a conquering race. And mm. they're going to come down from Mars. They come down from Mars. They land in a suburb of London. Go, oh, no, we're going to be invaded mm. by 
by Martians, who are a metaphor for, I mean, like, you know, the Nazis or anyone, anyone. right, you know. Um, and Maybe. then and then you get to Steven Spielberg's movie in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. post 9-11. I don't know, have you seen and or do you remember this movie? I feel like I vaguely remember it. Was Tom Cruise in? Tom Cruise is in it. Uh, yeah. Dakota Fanning, young Dakota Fanning is in it. She yeah. screams a lot. Just like that. Which, I mean... I watched, I rewatched this movie recently, and to be fair, like, she's, I don't know, eight. A child, yeah. A child, and in an incredibly traumatic situation, it's understandable that she screams a lot. She's so close to Tom Cruise. She's so close as well. For the entire time. It's awful. But the whole point and the whole way that this film was marketed post 9-11 was they are already here. That was the idea, right? And the... That noise is uncannily like the noise that an alien would make in a in a Hollywood adaptation of. I was H. making H. a Wells yikes face. I didn't know how to make the yikes face translate to radio. So you I succeeded. Made, I, I made a noise like a Roomba. <laughs> but no, that's that's the yeah same right thing because yeah because the like there's a storm doing. there's a storm there's some sort of terrible storm and then lightning comes out of the storm and activates the alien pods that have, that have already been already been, been yeah. there because they colonize the planet. Many, like, millennia ago with their alien pods. And now, finally, they can wreak havoc. And in all that time, in their stupid alien pods, they still never developed an immunity to human diseases. Classic. Love it. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go on. No, Discovery. no, that's exactly the same thing as Star Trek has done. It's like the the, the, the mirror universe has, has infiltrated our universe and there are people who have, like, been, you know infiltrating us for a long time and you don't know who you can trust and this guy who is like a high up authority figure spoilers for a tv show i haven't actually watched this guy is is from the mirror universe and is trying to corrupt us like and he's always been here yeah, yeah. and yeah exactly and he's only thing. a mirror of you uh, and if you don't follow our laws then you're going to become him but what's interesting is that this is a recent thing. Like, this didn't happen in the original Gene well, Roddenberry I was gonna ask, Star Trek. Who is, because this is a really good way to work out, like, what is... what. what despite saying at the beginning of this whole thing that, like, I hate when people define things by what they're not. Like, a good way to define a utopia is by, like, what it's up against, mm. right? Um, and who was, like, the enemy in the original Star Trek? What is, what is, what is the bad? There wasn't... There wasn't any one. The idea mostly is that they go to different planets and they have adventures in them and they teach those planets frequently about like, hey, don't be racist or, uh, you know, hey, birth control should be allowed. That oh, was wow. the plot of an episode. Seriously? Yes. So, so, so the enemy is essentially ignorance. Mm, absolutely. Huh. You had you had a character who... Um, uh, I can't remember why. I don't remember if he was like a clone or something, but he, he he was very young and had been raised to believe that he was very, very intelligent. And he comes on the spaceship and is like, I want to touch that lady. And everyone's like, no. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, no. no stop. And, and, and he's like, but she was nice to me. It's like, no, oh, that's God, not what no, that means. <laughs> oh, no, we need to teach you so much. Exactly. It's, yeah. It was a really, really like, you know, these days when it's like, uh, if there are female characters in a film, it's like social justice warriors. How dare they? Whereas while they didn't have, you know, the main guy is still a white guy. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, Jewish, uh, like the the actor, not the character. Uh, the character had no. What the surname Kirk isn't Jewish enough for you? Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shatner and Nimoy both actually Jewish, which made the episode where they go to a Nazi planet. Real weird. Oh, real weird. Go to that a Nazi planet. Fun. And like they're shirtless and they're getting whipped. It was very strange. What? 
Makes sense. This is the other thing I like about, um, from what I've gathered about old Star Trek, which Mm. um, is no longer the case really for most science fiction TV and which I kind of, I miss in a big way about science fiction TV is how campy 1960s science fiction is. And in general, how campy the 1960s like imagination is. It's it's absolutely astounding. And like, I am very fond of how, uh, how much itself it got to be. Yeah. How much something like Star Trek, it could just lean into... People People complain these days, like, oh, they're wearing miniskirts. It's like, yeah, but miniskirts were a symbol of liberation for women. Yeah. Um, and they could be like, yeah, you know, your, your insignia is on your wrist and you don't have to carry any bags. You don't have pockets because everything is just replicated. Like, everything is just... All the silliness about it, you can kind of justify almost. Oh yeah, this is the other thing I like about about the Star Trek world is this this and this is also this actually comes up in in mm. Banks's culture series, mm. um, which is this idea that um, a lot of these perfect worlds are hinged pretty much entirely on the fact that you can get shit for free, get shit, get shit for free in like uh, an, an energy way and also a money way. Just shit just just gets given to you. So in Star Trek, so so they they go to they go to the planets, right? Mm. And they're like, "Ah, oh, you ignorant fools!" But, they, but what's great is the prime directive is is just exploration, not intervention. But oh, they always okay. find themselves just forced to intervene. Like, oh, and yeah. because of morals. Well, yeah, and and you occasionally do have this conversation, like literally in 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 the show, where someone's like, "Well, why are your you know Federation morals better than my morals?" And they're like, oh, I'm challenged by that." Yeah. So it at least is a conversation. Well, I was just saying that it's um, with these with these planets. Do these people then? Is the idea that they're trying to like incorporate more planets into the Federation? Some are, yeah. Right. So that's some of, so- some of the episodes are, especially later into the series, like something like the one that you watch, Deep Space Nine, is very specifically about the politics of incorporating two planets who were previous previously at war with each other. Like one was the invading force, and the other was the rebellious. You know whether or not you can incorporate them into, you know, the one, Federation. One Federation, oh, I see. And, and the one that was really rebellious is a super religious, and the one that was really uh, the invading force is clearly just America. It's like, <laughs> oh, we, okay. we love invading, we're very patriarchal, Yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, and when the other one's like, we're super religious, we super care about our, our prophets, and it was a huh. really interesting little dichotomy. Yeah. But in original Star Trek, what you were talking about with energy... The thing that powers the warp drive is, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's essentially um, the, the, the warp drive annihilates hydrogen mm-hmm. through dilithium crystals, which don't exist. But but sound great. Sound great. But the idea is that like there's, there's hydrogen everywhere. Yeah. So so it's fine. It's fine. And occasionally you would need to like, you know, rejig the dilithium crystals or get some new ones. <laughs> <laughs> Land on a planet to to replenish your dilithium crystals. Accidentally, yes. Teach them about, yes. I don't know, birth control. I could write a Star Trek episode. It doesn't sound that hard. <laughs> you absolutely could. It's really hard to get the voices right because so many people wrote them. They're really inconsistent. Oh no. Oh, I love it though. I love Star Trek. Um, I had another point about. Uh, well, the... I mean, just... oh, Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Yes. Okay, so the really famous Star Trek film is Wrath of Khan. Uh, people have heard of it without necessarily knowing what it's about. And in that I've one, seen the meme. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In that one, the enemy is the nation's past. So it's... it's oh. Yeah. It's, oh, back in the 2020s or something like that. Yep. 
there were the eugenics wars. Oh. Yeah, where people were trying to breed the perfect species of human with genetic manipulation, um, but those perfect humans were mad tyrants. And no. so and and we didn't we didn't we don't do execution anymore, we just put them into deep freeze. And this guy, Khan, who was put into deep freeze is back and he's mad. That's a great plot for a movie, actually. That I could not have written myself. That's really good. And I, I love it, partly because this idea that that one of the benefits of Star Trek is that it it is this perfect universe, but it has dismissed perfectibility. It's saying, oh, the perfected person is no is no good. What you want is balance. It's like all all the religions are fine. Yeah. Uh, all of the cultures are fine. All of the languages are fine. Like you see in various episodes and series, and I'm I'm jumping around from different like the original series, but like there are characters I think in in Discovery who are specifically like, you know, I am from this land, and I still have my you know I was an I have a spiritual connection to this land still. That kind of thing is really lovely. That's that's that definitely one of the things that a lot of people who write about utopia and now mm. uh, talk to, talk about the fact that uh, perhaps we should stop thinking when we say the word utopia we should mm. stop thinking perfect because mm. people do because from the very beginning uh, this of of when when Thomas More wrote utopia and introduced the word into the language um, the idea was like ah oh, but utopia is it's you know it's it's that really boring pun I find this pun so boring now because it's been done so much because it's both say the pun no one knows it no one knows the pun the pun dom is is that uh, utopia in Greek sounds both like e-utopia which is the good place and utopia which is no place therefore the perfect place cannot exist <laughs> right yeah. yeah um and no one's really moved on from that or i mean i mean a lot of people have moved on from that but it's this kind of really endless thing where uh, people generally from the kind of like liberal capitalist neoliberal tradition are like oh no but we hate utopias because utopias are all about creating perfect blueprints for for perfect worlds, and we hate that because it means there's no free will in them. And this comes back to my thing about, uh, well, teaching being a kind of utopia. Like, the idea of uh, the perfected world, including, you know, in, like, it's not about perfecting people, uh, teaching has to be accessible. So we're not going to say, you can't come into this class because you have a wheelchair, or you can't come into this class because you tore up a book last week or you can't come into this class because you have a you know reduced hearing or or a vision impairment we're going to say you're coming into this class and we are making every uh, again this is the ideal classroom and this is how i hope that it happens this is how the classrooms i run work but it it can't always you know we make all the things accessible that we possibly can so that you can be incorporated into the classroom and that's kind of the thing that star trek does i mean you had in not in the original series but there was a character called geordie laforge who has what a a great name great great name uh played uh can't remember his name great actor but he has a vision impairment and he has like a special visor that he wears which means he can't see so they have a character who is blind mm. and has, you know, a tool that allows him to see. Very science fiction. Very science fiction. But also utopian. And uh, this idea of like, yes, in the future, the the thing, the, the disability still occurs, but we have not... It's not like you're banned from a job on a spaceship because of it. Okay. So that's Star Trek. 
don't give me a rating out of 10, but do you agree? Original Star Trek and probably other series of Star Trek and Star Trek as a project, Utopian. I think 100% Utopian. Well, percentage is still an out of 10. Okay, fine. I think very Utopian. How's that? I think Star Trek is very Utopian because, mostly because it, um, from what I understand of Star Trek, which, which is basically... Uh, what I've told you. Yep, yeah, that, just that. It, it, it feels like it took a lot of things that were not at all utopian mm. in the world around it, like mm. the Cold War and... Um, gender politics. Gender politics. the 70s. Yeah, and like colonialism that yeah. was still ongoing very much in the 70s and it's still ongoing now. Um, it and, keeps happening. And yeah. like a space program that was designed from the get-go to kill people yeah. or to make better ways to kill people. Um, and it took all of those things and twisted them around into something that was like like... It's it sounds like it was really very very beautiful, beautiful like and for its time especially got cancelled after three seasons, <sighs> but they All the made, best things do they made a million movies and they made a million more uh, series of it with different casts and still the same basic idea even though it was always coloured by the different politics mm. and Gene Roddenberry you know had a great career in in film and television and lots of people talk about being inspired by it you know. Uh, Uhura, the the comms officer, you know, she the, the the actress Nichelle Nichols tried to quit because she was like, I'm not getting enough lines. I'm I'm not doing the thing that I thought I would be able to do. And apparently, she gets a call from Martin Luther King, who says, "You have to stay on that show because you're an inspiration. Oh my all gosh. the black women that all our black children see on TV are mates. Yeah, and here you are, being important to the plot." And she starts crying and I start oh, crying. Oh, man. That gave me chills. Whoopi Goldberg talked about watching her on TV and being like, I can be an actress. Like this kind of thing. So it's... So, wait, so, so Star Trek is the reason we got Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah. That's good enough. Mm. That is absolutely good enough. Anything that creates Whoopi Goldberg is by definition a utopia. And, and yeah, there's lots of things from Star Trek that got invented in real life. Because you were mentioning before phones, yeah, phones like communicators. Uh, I don't know if it was Star Trek that was the first one to do it, but it definitely again popularized it. Where people would watch that and was like, Yeah, we have the technology to do that, even though a lot of the actual physical technology was based on socially funded military research to better well, find better ways to kill people. <laughs> but this is the magical thing, right? Is this is a magical thing that I love about science fiction is that is that, um. Science fiction is one of the few genres where you can be like, look at this gadget. It uh, sh- shoots blue squares b- because our special effects budget is very low yeah. and and makes noises and uh, summons people from here to here. And also, in the same episode, in the same world, in the same like conception of reality, we're talking about like like women being allowed to have jobs and mm. birth control mm. and and people of people of different skin colors like mm. doing things together for good. And and this is a remarkable thing about science fiction is that it like allows you to translate like oh yeah this technology is awesome into like oh yeah this whole world and the society this, that this technology in, in in fact the only reason this technology exists and, and vice versa the only reason the society society exists is because the society is good like this mm. yeah and this future is 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 awesomeness this yeah. is a positive vision of the future that came out at a time when there weren't heaps. Yeah, and I think we can we can from from our own little apocalypse that is that is ongoing. I think we can definitely learn a lot about the way the apocalypses or the the crises or the precarious worlds that people saw, 
in their own time mm. and were like, here's the utopias we can make. Again, this is like a tactic, you know? You like you look at the you look at the the bad that was there in mm. the 60s or mm. the or the not so good and then you look at you you look at how far we've come. How far we've come. And you look at at where where those people were like, okay, we can make a point from here to to here and I'm aware this is radio and you can't see where my arms are but my left arm is below and my right arm is above and the right arm came up second so it's a line it's it's like a line graph Dom don't don't do that with your face Um, no one knows what I'm doing with my face (laughs) it's true no one does um yeah, but as, and, and then we could be like, awesome, then from our world, which is far more like the Star Trek world mm. in many ways, mm. we can go even further. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Star Trek is utopian. This is our utopian podcast. Uh, that's Raf. I'm Dom. And together, we are canceling the apocalypse. <laughs>